0: You know, we don't have to have all of the answers as a parent, but, you know, knowing where to find them and reach out for help is excellent. You know, sleep should be something that feels enjoyable. Bedtime should be a memorable, comfortable,
1: bonding moment. Hey, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Entering Motherhood, a podcast dedicated specifically to new moms going through this amazing journey in life. I'm your host, Sarah Bilger, a postpartum nutritional coach slash mechanical engineer. And as always, I'm so excited to be here with you and share all of the information I've been lucky enough to obtain since becoming a mom. In this episode, we talk with Jenny Boone about improving sleep for our little ones and how it can not only help them, but improve our lives as the parents too. Welcome to Entering Motherhood, and I am so excited and happy to have you here and jump into all the knowledge that you can give us about, you know, getting our our kids to sleep and and what you have learned and what helps. So how about you go ahead and start by introducing yourself and tell us what you do and how you kind of got there. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Jenny Boone,
0: and I'm the founder of Tiny Deaf Parenting. And I started off in college as a child and adolescent development major and loved everything that I was learning. And it just felt like a lot of it really came naturally to me. And from there, I worked in home with families privately, um, as a nanny, as a babysitter, um, I was a teacher for a while, um so tutor kind of all things working with children from essentially from birth until teenagers. so I had a really wide range of experience with a lot of different children, a lot of different families from you know California to new york um and you know sometimes in between and I was working with a family um, as their nanny and realized, you know, I was helping their child with sleep at the time. And I wanted to try to help more families at once because um, I wanted to make the impact bigger um, and help more people because parenting is the absolute hardest job on the planet. You work so hard to give your child the very best of everything that you can. And you want to do everything right and everything, you know, that you can to help them, to nurture them. And then on top of that, so many parents are also working parents and have office work to do, whether it's in the office or at home. So I really wanted to have the answers for so, for families to go to for sleep, because sleep is actually just as important as nutrition and water, um, especially for our children. During sleep is when our babies and our toddlers and children are making neurological connections. Their memory is developing. They're processing all of the beautiful information they learned throughout the day. So they really need sleep to solidify all of that information and process it. And so, I mean, we wouldn't, if we, have, if we have the means to feed our child consistently, we wouldn't purposely skip a meal, right? So sleep really should be treated in the same way. Um, you know, it's just as important. So I got really passionate about that. And as I was helping this family with their child's sleep, I was you know, reading and Googling and looking at books and I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many different answers. One person tells you this and another thing tells you this. And it's so confusing and disheartening and really stressful and honestly isolating too. So I wanted to be um, someone that could support parents as they support their child.
1: That's awesome. I, I can completely agree with, you know, when you're Googling something or when you're searching for information, how oh, it can be so overwhelming. And all of this content is coming at you. And you're just trying to find like a solution that works for you. You're just trying to find something that is going to relieve whatever kind of stress or overwhelmness feeling that is that is happening. And so I really feel like going to someone who has done all of that crazy back end work and is going to be there to support you directly through this process and be like we got this it's okay like you're going to get there you know just having somebody to guide you through that is huge and you don't feel like you're going through it alone when you have that support so so i i definitely get what you mean, you know, and even like asking friends and stuff like that, how I said, you know, Rosie sleeps through the night, I have no idea what we did to get there. (laughs) Um, But I don't know even where I would begin to try to tell somebody like what they can do to help their child sleep because I'd just be like, yeah, we just, we did this, but who knows if that's going to work for them. And so like, I feel like even talking to friends about that kind of thing can be frustrating and overwhelming and you're going to get different perspectives every which way. So I guess like, where do you start with a family?
0: Yeah, so, and that's so true what you said about asking friends and, you know, it's wonderful when moms and dads have that, community around them of people that they can reach out to. But you're right, sometimes, you know, that experience that that family has is limited to their own children. So they can tell you what worked for their child, but they don't have the perspective to tell you, you know, if this doesn't work, we need to do this, or, you know, look at it from a big picture. And sometimes too, the age really matters when you're looking at sleep, Um, especially when a child's an infant the different months really make a humongous difference because there's so much that happens developmentally each month. So even asking a parent or a mom group on, you know, on Facebook or friends or, you know, grandparents, the, you might not always get all of the information because they just don't necessarily have it um, because they don't specialize it, specialize in it. And um, so When I'm working with a family, I, one of the first things I tell them is, you know, every family is so different and every child is so different, you know? So my husband falls asleep so easily. I toss and turn. It takes me the perfect environment. You know, everything has to be just right for me to go to sleep. Our children are the same way. They're so different. And then on top of that, there's different schedules. Some kids are at daycare, some are in home. There are siblings, um, new babies in the family, all sorts of things, different environments that they're in. So it's, you really have to look at everything in the picture of sleep to get all of the answers of what to do, which is actually, I, so I started off working with families on potty training, behavioral issues, new sibling prep, um, you know, all things like that and I do still coach that. However, I kept finding that everything was starting with sleep. So, you know, sleep was at the core of most of these other struggles. So, when I'm working with family, I will look at the whole picture. I want to hear the background. I want to hear, you know, is your child considered to be neurotypical with um you know, with your pediatrician, is your child at a um, you know a percentage like of body weight that your pediatrician's comfortable with? Um, you know, is your child a, a you know selective eater, or are they eating a solid dinner before bed? Um, you know, what, how much sleep are they getting during the daytime? What are they doing during the daytime? Are they overstimulated, understimulated? Um, so we look at that and we work on building their schedule. So I personally specialize mostly in ages one and up. Um, There are wonderful, wonderful consultants out there that specialize in infant sleep. Um, I'm educated in that, but I specialize in older. Um, However, you know, it all starts with the same kind of base and questions. So any sleep consultant that a family chooses to work With should be asking about, you know, the day to day schedule, what the child's eating, um, you know, what does their room look like? So that's something that, you know, when I first start with a client, I have them send me a video of the room during the day, then close all the shades, shut the door, turn the lights out, and send me another little video, and we'll sit and analyze that video. So something I like to do is I always say, let's eliminate all variables that we can control. So we can control the room being dark and cool and you know we can put in a sound machine to alleviate any outside of the room noise that's going on. That is something we control. For some kids that doesn't make that much of an impact, but for a lot of kids it does. So get that all squared away. So you don't have to worry is, you know, is the light coming in in the morning impacting the early wake ups? Or are they having trouble falling asleep? Because it's still, you know, it's summer, and the sun's still up, um, even though it's still bedtime. So, you know, making those room conditions comfortable. Um, And then, um, you know, changing the schedule, because a lot of the times, we actually are missing the sleep window for our child, which, um, you know, I talk to so many families that are, you know, my child's just wide awake. It's 8.30, 9 p.m. And they are wide awake. They're running around. There's no chance they're tired. My guess is usually, well, we probably missed the sleep window. Um, they probably were tired earlier. But then what happens is they get a boost of cortisol in their brain. And now they're not tired anymore. You know, just like we as adults, you know, I could be watching a TV show or oh, I just need to send a few more emails. I'm really tired, but I'm just, I'm going to push through. And then all of a sudden I can't go to sleep anymore because I'm wide awake. So it's the same thing for our children. If we're missing that wake window, it's a lot harder to get them. Or if we're missing their tired, you know, the window of them being tired, it's a lot harder to get them to sleep. So that's kind of where we start.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, like that second wind kind of feeling of, um, you know, if if we miss that window, yeah. we definitely realize like a shift in Rosie's uh, kind of mood, and she gets a lot cranky, and then it's a lot of like, no, like I don't want to go to bed, like that kind of stuff, and it's yeah, a lot definitely harder. like she she gets that fight in her, she wants to run up and down the hallway, and we're. We're kind of like, oh, no, like we missed that window. So I can definitely, um, yeah, relate to that kind of feeling. And, and that makes sense, you know, like just shifting your schedule. Maybe that's what the issue is. Or you're trying to keep them up later thinking like, oh, if I keep them up late, then they'll be exhausted and then they'll really go to bed. But, you know, we have always tried to kind of do the lay in bed, still kind of awake, but like ready for bed. Yeah, I think that's a huge, a huge thing that a lot of people miss
0: um, sometimes because it's hard is putting our children or our babies in their crib or bed when they're tired but not asleep yet. Because if you think of it, if you, you know, if your baby falls asleep while you're holding them and then you carefully tiptoe and creep them in their crib and creep it and leave the room, all of a sudden, when they wake up, and they realize, oh, wait, what happened? I was being held. And now I'm just in my crib by myself. That's a really startling thing. Like think about if you know, as adults, again, if you fell asleep in your, you know, in your bedroom, and then all of a sudden, you woke up in the kitchen, you'd be like, what is going on? You know, it feels really different and weird. And they don't know how to fall asleep on their own. Um, And so that's something that, you know, I always work with my clients as well on really empowering the parents to give their child the time and space to fall asleep independently. And again, it varies what you do based on age so much, especially with babies, you know, based on their age is important, but we want them to really, you know, not associate sleep with being held or being fed Um, You know, they call that a sleep prop. So a sleep prop is like falling asleep while being held, bed, in the stroller, in the car seat with a pacifier. Those are all things that make it easier for them to fall asleep. But then when that doesn't exist, it's a lot harder for them to fall asleep.
1: Okay. So you mentioned, you know, like the pacifier. Is that something that you help? Like maybe like Rosie still uses the pacifier right now. She's one and a half we do plan on like transitioning past that. But, you know, I'm sure that that's probably a common thing that now you take the pacifier away, and their sleep habit is completely different. So is that something like maybe a a parent is reaching out to you, like, we took the pacifier away, they're not sleeping, help us?
0: Yes, definitely. So typically, it just takes some adjusting time. Um, to you know to do that and it's so funny because so many families will be like well they sleep at daycare without the pacifier but then they get home and they can't do it you know and and a lot of it's we have to give them the time and space to try they can do it we just have to help teach them how so you know of course night 1 they're not going to you know if we take away their pacifier or we move them from the crib to the bed of course they're not going to magically you know there are exceptions But they're not going to magically sleep perfectly throughout the night because we've changed a major part of their sleep routine. And they now, you know, the pacifier is soothing. It's that suckling feeling. But a lot of the times as a child gets a little older, that pacifier starts to impact their sleep because, you know, it starts to fall out of their mouth and they can't find it. So then, you know, families are putting like, five or six pacifiers around the bed so or in the crib so they can find a new one um yeah
1: yeah, yeah we did that for sure
0: <laughs> yeah totally so there you know there comes a point where it starts to impact them negatively and then it's time to give it away um you know and I you know I like to say like let's give it away or have the pacifier fairy come. And, um, you know, give a little bit of warning, but not too much to your child. If they're, you know, a little bit older, let them know, and we're going to say goodbye to them. And then really the biggest culprit is you have to make sure you've gotten all of the pacifiers because it, you know, you want to clear them, say goodbye to them. And I had a client that found literally like three and a half weeks after we'd worked together, she found one pacifier that her little one had been hiding and using at night. So we wanna make sure that we really get all of them cleared because it's, we don't wanna have to redo the work we've put in. So, um, you know, again, a lot of parents that contact me, even if the pacifier is not impacting sleep, I say, you know what, while we're working together, it's your choice as a parent, but I recommend, let's, let's again eliminate all the variables we can control. That might be something that's impacting their sleep. Um, we want them to be able to do it on their own independently eventually. Um, and again, all children are different and all families are different. And another thing that I think is so crucial is that as parents are choosing to reach out to a specialist, it's really important that they find someone that they feel comfortable with because there are so many different consultants that have different methods and different ways of doing things. A parent knows their child better than I ever could. So even though I specialize in sleep, you as a mom or a dad or you know, a parent knows the most, you know, knows your child at the core. So you have to find someone who you feel comfortable with. And if something doesn't feel right, you have to say, you know what, that's, that doesn't feel comfortable for my family or my child. I don't think that's going to work. And you want your consultant to be able to say, okay, then let's do it this way. Then, um, I think that's so important because it's a working relationship. And, you know, as a parent, you're constantly the advocate for your child as they go into school or go to the doctor or, you know, with a sleep consultant or whomever, it's really important that the parents have that voice and it's a working relationship. Um, So I always tell people to really look for that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's so good to you know be able to give that parent the voice or or be open to if they're like oh that's not going to work for us it's like okay well let's see what can work for you and be accommodating for those kinds of things because I'm sure like that would make me feel so much better like wow like she understands me and she wants to you know work around things that make sense to me or things that I want for my child and you know you know I think I think that's a big part of um, you know, parenting and feeling like you do have uh that that advocacy for your children and and what you want for them so that's that's awesome that like you're able to provide that for families definitely and then so you said making the room dark, cool, and the sound can you kind of go into that a little bit?
0: yeah, definitely
1: so. We want to kind of make the room
0: like a cave. So we want it to be a little cool and they're not going to freeze. They have, you know, they have either, you know, their sleep sack on, their pajamas. Um, You know, when they get to a certain age, they can have a blanket. But we want to make sure that the room isn't too hot because we're biologically programmed to feel more tired when the room is cool and when it's dark. And like, when I say dark, I'm talking dark. We want it in the middle of the day when the shades are closed and the door is shut and the lights are off. We want it to be quite dark. So much so that, for example, if a child is now in their bed or you're transitioning from crib to bed, we want it to be a little challenging to get out of bed because we want them to look around and say, huh, it's kind of dark. I can't really get out of this bed. I can't really see to do so, not in a dangerous way because we've looked at the room and we've said, okay, we shouldn't put this sharp dresser right next to their head. You know, let's give it a little bit of space so if they do sit up and try to get out of bed, they can safely. But we want it to be dark because that helps them to fall asleep. Um, you know, and there's a lot of little electronics that emit light. I know Nests are super popular right now, or um, you know, Amazon has different devices and all of these different devices, which can be great. But I re- really recommend starting at, you know, a completely dark room. Some toddlers really fixate on light or a night light or a little light being on. And again, most of the time, um, give giving the toddler a couple days, they adjust to it and the darkness really helps their sleep because they're falling asleep in the dark. And then when they wake up and it's still dark in their room, they understand it's still time for bed and it's still time for sleep and it's easier to fall back asleep. Um, And then I also recommend getting a quality white noise machine um, that we want the volume to be high enough where, you know, if someone's in the kitchen and accidentally drops, you know, a pan, it doesn't wake up the baby or the toddler. Um, Or if we're, you know, in the living room having a conversation or watching TV, we don't want it to wake the baby or the child. So a lot of the times the white noise machine isn't turned up enough. So we want to make sure it's loud enough. Um, I recommend starting with white and pink noise um, to try that first, Um, you know, and give your child some time to adjust, especially if it's something new. Um, A lot of toddlers prefer like the lullabies or something a little different, I just always recommend start with the white noise. It's simple. It's not stimulating to the brain. And it just is really good at getting rid of outside of the room noises. So I say start there. And, um, you know, and if it's a little bit of an older child, sometimes having a little bit of control does help. Um, So, you know, if it's two and a half, three-year-old, we might want to say, okay, you get to choose the sound for tonight. But if, you know, before bed, you know, the child might say, Oh, now I don't like this noise. Well, now's not the time to change our noise. Tomorrow you can pick a new sound before, you know, bath time. But we're sticking with this noise for tonight because it can kind of become a tactic that they might use to try to stay up or get a little extra time. Um, so we want to really be cognizant of that because our little ones are little geniuses and know exactly what to do and ask of us to get a little extra time and attention. Mm
1: -hmm. And so you said white noise and pink noise? What is pink noise? Yeah,
0: pink noise is just a little like softer. They have some on some of the settings and I believe on the Nest, they have like a pink noise setting. Um, It's just like a, a slightly different like whoosh sound yeah
1: yeah I've never heard of that I'll have to check that out that's real interesting and then so I have kind of I guess like been told or it's been like passed down and stuff of like try to make the most noise possible like when the baby's first trying to sleep because if they can sleep through that then they can sleep through anything is that true is that helpful is that
0: I mean, yeah, it, it to an extent, it's definitely, you know, it's something to try. But again, each child is so different that sometimes you just can't change the child. Like it's sometimes just in there, the bricks of your child. So, you know, some people are more sensitive to sound and noise than others. You can certainly try to do that. But, um, you know, ultimately, we want them to get like quality, deep sleep. And that's the most important. Um, So, you know, to new moms, I would definitely say, you know, don't don't put too much effort into like making noise. You know, if your child's taking a nap and, you know, they're falling asleep, excellent. Take a nap yourself or, you know, get a cup of coffee for yourself. Don't feel like you have to run around with a vacuum and bang things around, you know, they'll, they will sleep sleep, I mean, sleep is biologically required for us to survive. So our child has to eat, drink and sleep to survive. So your child will get sleep. So, you know, if you need to take a break and put your feet up, for all means, take a break and put your feet up.
1: Yeah. And then I guess, you know, like, do you work with specific scheduling? Like if they want to, you know, bedtimes, at seven o'clock, like it, like is that something that you can help them shift to be at that time or work with work with specific scheduling or or what does that look like?
0: Yeah, definitely. You know there are some families that you know the parents just cannot do early mornings, so we might try a little bit of a tiny bit of a later bedtime, however. Sometimes if you go too late with your bedtime, it's counterintuitive and it actually, your child ends up waking up earlier. So I always recommend if you're looking at adjusting bedtime to try to adjust in 15 minute increments over a few days and let your child adjust to that 15 minutes and then move 15 more minutes again. Anything greater than that is too big of a change for their body. Um so even things like daylight savings you know a week before just slowly start to adjust 15 minutes earlier or later depending on the which one it is and let your child adjust so it's not this like huge shock when you know it's daylight savings so same with bedtime um most of the clients that i work with are actually usually putting their child to bed much uh too late and again they're missing that sleep window and their child's getting really Crazy at night, and then they're also waking up multiple times in the night, and then they're waking up early on top of that, and then they end up napping, you know, at daycare or during the day for a lot longer than they probably should because they're trying to make up for the sleep they're not getting at night. So, you know, I always talk about bedtime sleep improves first, so falling asleep, going to sleep, shortening the length it takes for a child to fall asleep is what's going to fix first, middle of the night wake ups will fix next. And then the final phase is those early morning wake ups will start to correct. But you know, it's a process and it's building blocks. So as we're teaching our children to fall asleep on their own, those middle of the night wake ups will slowly start to fix. And actually, the client that I'm working with right now has um, a three and a half year old. And last night was the first night fell asleep on her own in her room, no issues, didn't come out, didn't call for mom, slept 100% through the night and woke up 7am. So she, you know, she slept her 715 to 7am just solid through the night. So it can happen. And this child was falling asleep, you know, watching TV or in mom's bed or needed mom in her room with her. And, you know, multiple times a night she would wake up or Mom would carry her from her bed into her room and then she would end up back in bed. So, you know, it, it took six days and, you know, she is consistently sleeping on her own through the night and, you know, she, her behaviors improved and the mom's like, oh my gosh, I I have so much more energy and I want to do more with her during the day because I have more energy to do so. So it is possible, even when it seems like it's not, it's it is possible.
1: Yeah. And then how much of an impact, I guess, would like a bedtime routine have? Do you do you go into bedtime routine? Like how much does that affect what's actually happening at night?
0: Yeah. I that's I'm so glad you asked that. A bedtime routine is really important because If you think about it, our little ones really have no control over their life, right? So they might know, okay, I go to daycare and then some days I stay home or, you know, they have, they understand that, but they don't get to really choose what they do with their day or, you know, how. So it's really important that we create some predictability so they understand and feel more in control of their life. Um, you know, we, they have grown ups telling them, here's what we're doing all times of the day. So it's really nice for them to know, okay, we eat dinner, we play, you know, quietly play, read books, take a bath, and then we'll read two books before bed. And then it's time to go to bed. Um, you know, we always read in this chair and then, you know, we, So, And of course, sometimes we're going to be flexible with that. Sometimes it's not possible to get our child to bed at seven every night. You know, grandparents are in town or there's an event that we're going to or, you know, we're having a babysitter come over. So, of course, there's going to be some flexibility in that. But we want it to feel like muscle memory for them. So we want them to know after dinner, it's this, this and bedtime So their bodies can slowly adjust. And as we're going through those steps, they're actually getting tired because their body knows that bedtime is coming. So the routine really does help um, to really solidify. Another thing I really, um, I like to talk about is uh, bedtime books versus dramatic books. So there is a different reading books and teaching the love of books, is different than bedtime books. Our bedtime stories are meant to be calming, really quiet. We want them slower paced. We want them to not be overly engaging. So those amazing, wonderful interactive books or books that have the buttons of sounds or that book, the push book, where you push the paint dot and then it's like a hundred paint dots and different colors and it turns red and blue. That's an amazing book, but not for bedtime. So I always recommend have a pile of bedtime books or a shelf that's bedtime. And those we're going to read in a calm, slow, quiet voice. Like the, you know, those apps that adults sometimes listen to to fall asleep. And the voice is like, so monotone and quiet. We want to do that for our children at bedtime versus dramatic books where we're asking questions and we're doing voices and we're being silly and we're predicting what might happen in the book or pointing out, oh, there's, let's count how many birds are on this page. Um, So that's fabulous. And we want to do that kind of reading too, just not at bedtime. Same with as our children are getting older and practicing reading themselves, the time for them to practice reading is not right before bed they're physically tired, their brains are tired and need to start shutting down, not powering up. That's too stimulating before bed. And it can actually be quite frustrating, because I know when I'm tired, my brain is not operating at 100%. So those kind of books are best suited for before bed. So in the schedule that I work out with the family, I always say, before dinner time is time for screens. If your family does screens, and dramatic book reading. Anytime after dinner time, we want it to be calmer, quiet. Like if you have extra time to fill, do some coloring or do something relaxing like working on a puzzle. It's not the time to like play fire truck and dress up and you know, go crazy. So, you know, really looking at the timing of that in the routine will set your child up for success.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have any specific books, I guess, like off the top of your head that you that you typically recommend for like a bedtime story?
0: Yeah. So I, I love the good old classic Good Night Moon. I mean, I can remember falling asleep to that. And, you know, even if you look at that book, you can see the pages, like the artwork of the pages slowly getting darker and dimmer. So that's an excellent bedtime book. It's also, it's repetitive and, you know, it rhymes, but not in a like upbeat sing song kind of way. It's like a mellow, slow, calm rhyming. Um, You know, same with Time for Bed by um, Mem Fox. I love that book with the different animals and, you know, showing them all going to sleep. And again, it's talking about sleep, but again, like, that would be a great book to practice animal sounds just not before bed. That would be a great activity before dinner to practice the different animals and pointing them out and learning their names or doing the sounds. But you can also use that book for bedtime, just take out you know the interactive part of it and really just read slow and um, you know and calmly. Um, I also love this book. It's called Sweet Dreams. Um, Shrinking Down and it's by Miriam Gates. It's talking about um, like shrinking and letting your body. It kind of talks through the different body parts and relaxing them. It's almost like a beginning meditation book for our little ones, which is really cool. Um, So I really like that one. Um, And gosh, one more. Tomorrow I'll Be Brave by Jessica Hish is a really fun book too. So A lot of those bedtime books do take place at night. Um, You know, the pages are darker. The illustrations are a little calmer. Um, So those are some good like tips and tricks to find some bedtime books. And again, our children like repetition. So we don't need to have 40 bedtime books. They actually learn by that repetition. So having a stack of, you know, 10 or five bedtime books that they can choose from Is totally fine. And I always say, aim for two short or one long book. No more than that. If they're begging like, oh, one more book, one more book, you can pick out one more book and we'll read it tomorrow morning. We'll put it right here on your dresser. And first thing tomorrow morning, when it's time to wake up, we'll read that book. But it's really important to not give that extra time at bedtime. Because again, the goal of bedtime is to go go to sleep they don't need anything else but sleep at bedtime. So, you know, it's really important to stick to that too short, one long, or what, you know, whatever your family decides. But I like to recommend from the time, you know, after bath, you brush teeth, you try the restroom, if they're potty trained, um, you know, get lotion on those things. But by the time you sit in the chair to read, that should and say good night and leave the room that should be under 10 minutes total. So. You know, we're looking at reading the two short, one long, rocking and snuggling for a moment, putting them into bed, telling them how wonderful they are, you know, how much you love them, maybe something you're grateful for, or, you know, some people do a prayer, whatever your nighttime routine is, kiss them, pet their back for a moment, and then leave the room um, is the goal. And we want to keep it under that 10 minute mark, because anything longer than that, again, gets a little stimulating for them and it makes it a lot harder for them to fall asleep by themselves.
1: And then I guess so you said that you typically work with like a year and older and there's definitely, you know, infant sleep consultants and such, but I guess like at that year mark then or or what knowledge do you have before then of how long they should be sleeping or what's abnormal or when you know, when should they consider kind of reaching out for help. Like I know some moms are maybe still waking up in the middle of the night and things like that. And, and they're fine with it and they're okay. But that's like happening, occurring. Where does that, I guess, affect development or, or what's a good kind of range or where should we be focusing on like how many hours or is there a, is there a benchmark to kind of refer to? Yeah, definitely. So Um,
0: the national sleep foundation, um, recommends you can look there or the CDC and they have charts and recommendations, but they recommend a newborn, um, you know, zero to three months is sleeping 14 to 17 hours. And they're looking at sleep in a 24 hour period. So that includes their naps. Um, same with an infant four to 11 months is getting 12 to 15 hours. A toddler that's one to two years is getting 11 to 14 hours. And preschool age three to five is getting 10 to 13. And school range six to 13 is getting nine to 11. Um, And again, it will, you know, it'll vary because sometimes, you know, as our child's body is growing or preparing to have a growth spurt, they need more food and sleep. Or if they're sick, they're going to need more sleep. So um, things like that, definitely, you know, or if they've had a really stimulating or emotional day, or, you know, they've just been on vacation, and now they're getting home. Those are all things that can impact their sleep. Um typically, a child is ready to um, stop feeding throughout the night between four and six months. But again, that's another thing that should be worked out between the family and their pediatrician. So before, um, you know, a child's getting weaned from night feedings, I always recommend that parents check with their pediatrician. So before I start time with any client, I say, you know, let's double check, just touch base with your pediatrician, make sure, you know, they don't have any concerns about anything because, um, you know, again, they know your child better than I can coming in as a consultant. Um, and they're also a trained medical professional, which I am not. So it's really important to get that input first and make sure and then you know you can move forward. And then um, you know, as a child is getting um going from feeding throughout the night to then weaning off of that, you typically see their sleep start to really, you know, improve and they can go longer stretches. But again, it's an adjustment and it's, you know, it it often feels like, oh my gosh, this doesn't feel right. They're crying and you know, we, we have to remember that babies cry and children and toddlers cry to communicate. So, um, it doesn't always necessarily mean that we're doing something wrong or they need something. There are want based cries that happen as well. So that's something that I work on the phone with my clients. So I actually, as you know, we work together the first few nights, I am, you know, I say, grab your earbuds, grab your phone. Let's set up on FaceTime. If you have a monitor, set the phone up so I can watch the monitor with you. And let's listen to the cry that they're crying. Because, you know, being a mom, you know, Rosie has different types of cries. There's the cry that, oh my gosh, something is wrong. The hairs are standing up on my arms. Some, she is hurt. I'm like sprinting to her. There's the cry that's like, I'm bored or I'm hungry or I'm tired or I'm mad. You know they get the the that behavioral like I don't want to be doing this cry. And a lot of the times we get their cries confused. And again that's why I always recommend, you know, if bedtime feels like something you dread or your partner dreads or your child dreads, reach out to a specialist. You don't have to do it alone. You know, if we have an issue with our plumbing, we call a plumber. If we don't know about something with, you know, our child being sick, we call the doctor. So call a specialist. There's no, there's, you know, we don't have to have all of the answers as a parent, but, you know, knowing where to find them and reach out for help is excellent. You know, sleep should be something that feels enjoyable. Bedtime should be a memorable, comfortable bonding moment for a family. And if, you know as a parent you find yourself saying oh my god it's almost bedtime like i you know i can't deal or i need a moment because bedtime's so stressful or they get so upset or it takes so long um you know it really it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't need to take more than 10 minutes and i have so many incredible parents that are sitting with their children for hours trying to get them to fall asleep and you know it's just so hard as a parent because again, you want to do the best thing for your child, and you know that they need sleep. However, you also need to, you know, give yourself some care. And, you know, if you have a partner, you know, have that time for, you know, as grown ups, or if you have an older child, have time for the older child. So, um, you know, reach out for help. Um, If you dread bedtime, it doesn't have to be hard.
1: So with that, where can we start looking for help? Like what would be a good resource of finding a sleep consultant in our area? Or, you know, can you give us all your information, how we can contact you? Things like that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you can find um, a, a local person. You can start. I recommend starting with the Association of Professional Sleep Consultants. So. I am recognized by, um, that association as are a lot of great sleep coaches. Um, also word of mouth, ask your friends if they've worked with anyone that they like. Um, and again, it's really important to find the right fit for your family. Um, you know, so call, you know, do a little research on different people and have a call with a couple of them and see who feels right, um, to work with and who, you know, who you want to talk to and what, what you feel like you need for support. So, um, you know, if people want more information about me, I have um, an Instagram and a Facebook and it's at tiny duck parenting and my websites, you know, www.tinyduckparenting.com. And I offer a 10 days of unlimited 24 hour coaching. So I um you know a lot of consultants which you know is fine again you have to know what what will i benefit from as a parent some consultants say okay let's touch base in the morning or via email um here's you know here's what you're going to do tonight and then let's check in tomorrow and let me know how it goes i like to you know do a little more hands on because especially the first few nights can be really emotional i mean i've sat on the phone while you know parents cry because they're you know it's such it's such a release and it's hard to, you know, to see your child learning something new and this really is one of the first things they learn. So, um, you know, I will be available to my clients 24 hours a day. So if, you know, we will coach through bedtime as it happens. We we talk ahead of time. Here's our plan, here's your materials, here's the routine, this is what we're going to do. Text me when you're starting to read books and then the second you leave the room, Give me a call and we will in real time, I will be coaching you so you can stay calm in your body as a parent and not get stressed or overwhelmed. And if you are stressed or overwhelmed, share it with me and let me be there to support you so then you can be there to support your child as they're learning this new skill. Um, So that also counts for I have clients that sometimes call me at 2 or 3 a.m., because their child's waking up and what we had discussed isn't working. And I would much rather talk to a client at 3 a.m. for 10 or 15 minutes, quickly, you know, go through our game plan or make an adjustment, then say, you know, let's touch base tomorrow morning. And, you know, you went through, you know, this horrible night and didn't know what to do because we wanna make it as easy on the child as possible. And that means we want to do it efficiently and effectively. And you know, with them in mind. And so if that means I want to talk to a a client needs to talk to me at 3am. Awesome. Let's talk, let's solve it. So we get your child back in bed. And we don't have to take a back step for the next day. And then now the next day is harder. So I find that that really works. And typically, I mean, I've worked with people that are you know using melatonin, iPads, TV, anything, like presents, prizes, anything to get their child to sleep and truly most of my clients by night 4 their child's falling asleep independently, the night wakings are starting to go away and you know they're sleeping to a reasonable time in the morning. So, you know, those early wake-ups are starting to dissipate as well. So it is possible and bedtime doesn't have to feel awful. It can be really enjoyable. Um, you know, and the nice part is that, um, you know, if you ha- people that have multiple children can do it all at once. It's possible, you know, to to make those changes for all the whole family. And it's so funny. My favorite thing to ask my clients is, so what are you going to do tonight? Like you have the whole night. You know, it's seven o'clock or it's eight o'clock, your child's asleep, not gonna wake up, and they're like, Oh my god, we're gonna watch a movie. I had a client go, Oh my gosh, have you seen the movie The Greatest Showman? It's so good, and I was like, Yeah, like I don't know, five years ago, you know, four years ago, it came out, so I saw it then, you know. So, but it's so fun, um, to be able to see parents have that success and then to have them be able to watch their child succeed in that way is really exciting.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely feel like that's something that a lot of people don't realize. You know, you get that question early in motherhood of, oh, is the baby sleeping through the night? Like how's that going? And like that's great and everything, but it's more so, how are you sleeping through the night? What are you doing? And when your child is getting those benefits and and having that routine and having that schedule you get your nights back. I hear so many people, you know, Oh, wake up a half an hour before your kids so that you can have time to yourself. And people are like, Oh, my gosh, like, how could I possibly wake up a half an hour before them? They're not even sleeping through the night. We were up at 4am, like this, that that like, when your child is sleeping more efficiently, and, and through the night, you get that time back to yourself. And I think that's what's really important too. like, you get the recharge you get to wake up a little bit early and not be, you know, instantly uh, having to need like tend to your children. You get that little extra time right before bed to maybe journal or read or do whatever, or whatever you want to do to create a, a bedtime routine for yourself. So I think, you know, we don't really sometimes comprehend the full benefit of our children sleeping, and we don't see it as something that's going to help us as well. You know, we want to care for our kids, we want to give them the best, but we also need to fill up our own cup and we need to like recharge ourselves so that we can be fully there. So I think, you know, that's a huge, huge benefit of, of what you, you do too. And I think the add on 24 seven contact of that emotional side of what's going on like you know there were nights yeah that rosie wouldn't sleep or something was going on or she'd be crying when she was teething and stuff like that and i was like oh my gosh like what am i doing wrong what's going on and if i could have had somebody to call at that 2 a.m 4 a.m time to just vent that's huge Like that's amazing And, you know, you always feel like, I don't want to call a friend or, you know, somebody else because I'm going to burden them or it's too late or it's this or, you know, even like your partner might have work the next day, you have work the next day, you know, dealing with all of those factors and being able to have somebody who is going to guide you through that emotionally calm you down, let you know this is normal, this is okay, let's adjust and have an action plan in place right then and there and you're not worrying all night or oh what am I gonna do? Who am I supposed to contact? I think I think that's such a huge extra added bonus that you offer. So that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And it really is because you know our
1: our bodies are actually biologically
0: programmed to respond to our children crying. That's why when we were cavemen, we didn't just say like oh this is hard and like leave our child. You know, we're we are wanting to respond to their crying to get them to calm down. Because, you know, our bodies, although we don't live as cavemen anymore, we're that cry makes us somewhere biologically think there is a threat, a predator is going to hear this baby, I have to get it to calm down. Now we live in homes and apartments. And, you know, we don't have to worry about predators in that way. But you know, our bodies are still wired. So having that third party on the phone to say, take a deep breath, release your jaw, roll your shoulder roll your shoulders, have a sip of water. It's okay. You know, that's not a that's not an I need you cry. That's an I'm angry cry. I don't like this. This is different. You know, so having that person on your team and helping, I mean, why not make your life a little bit easier? Because it doesn't have to be hard in this category. Parenting is too hard to not use the resources out there if you can, Um, you know, and there are a lot of great blogs and, you know, I leave tips and tricks on, you know, my Facebook and Instagram and um, you know, it's just, it's so important to reach out to people who really, you know, have the experience that can help guide you. And more importantly, we want to teach our children that self care And some independence too, because we're not going to always be able to help them fall asleep after a bad dream. Especially, you know, you have multiple children, um, then you have to, you know, really, like it's a fine balancing act of managing all of the children, their needs, the, you know, household needs, your work needs, your friends, your personal needs. So, you know, we start to teach self care you know, at a young age. And that's something too, I say, like, think about ways you can celebrate your child's success when, you know, they sleep through the night for the first time, have a parade, teach them to have a bubble bath, get manicures, or, you know, go get some, like have breakfast for dinner, get ice cream, or, you know, go on a walk around the block and pick flowers for yourself, you know. Find ways to teach them some of that self care and celebration for themselves. Um, it's really, really exciting when we see our children succeed and do something and accomplish something. And um, I had a client's little one say, I'm so proud of myself at breakfast. And, you know, we both just burst into tears. We're like, this is so beautiful. And she understands that she just had a really challenging situation, and she was able to do it. And she was able to find that in herself and empower herself to fall asleep. So, you know, that's a really big accomplishment for our little ones. And we want to be there to help facilitate their success, um, you know, and hold their hand and help them through it, but not do it for them all the time. So, um, you know, it's really an important skill. And, you know, the children that can fall asleep independently can work on doing other things independently. So, um, you know, it's, it's really great. And it really does expand well beyond just bedtime and sleep.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, thank you so much for really explaining all of this and diving into like, where we can kind of start and what things look like and little helpful tips and where we can reach you and everything. So, you know, just I appreciate this time so much and and what you're able to share with us. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And it was so great to talk to you.
1: Well, this wraps up yet another episode of entering motherhood. I hope that you have found this episode helpful. And if you liked it, please share it with others who might also benefit from this information. If there's anything that you'd like to know more about, or maybe you know someone who'd like to be on the show, please visit my website, enteringmotherhood.com. I'm so thrilled to be going on this journey with you and getting the amazing opportunity to help moms during this postpartum experience. You can also now find us on Instagram and Facebook at Entering Motherhood.